Um, but I want to reflect on this last section, which is Jesus saying some things pretty straight down the line, things that would make him even unpopular today. Not just then, of course he was unpopular then, it got him killed, uh, but these are the things that would, if not get him killed, would get him cancelled today. But before we do that, I want to go back and just reflect with you briefly on some things that I've observed from Jesus' prayer in this section. Things that I've not noticed before that I want to share with you because I, I think that it helps us just to appreciate that the Lord's Prayer is not just a liturgy that people would pray without really taking on board the words, but it actually is a very practical prayer that's focused on other things that Jesus is teaching about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and to do that, I'm just going to recap a few things. So in the beginning of this prayer, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you might remember uh, a few weeks back, we were looking at not being anxious about things in this world. We were reminded that you cannot serve both God and money. And we were told that we're beautiful and that we're special to God and that God cares for us, watches over us, will provide for us. Therefore, seek first his kingdom, is what Jesus says. And I think in many ways that's an exposition of what Jesus has said to pray. Your kingdom come. Knowing that God is our heavenly Father, that he provides for us and that he looks after us, leads us to pray his priorities, knowing that he will take care of our needs. The second thing that I noticed was in the next passage, uh, where, oh, and I forgot this little bit here, give us today our daily bread, which fits well with God taking care of our needs. Secondly, then, he says, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And last week, Nathan took us through the first part of chapter 7, where there was the issue about judging others. And of course, you have that rather comic picture of somebody with a telegraph pole in their own eye um, turning around and knocking people over as they seek to get someone to take a speck of sawdust out of their own eye. Uh, we are told in this passage that we need to be careful to pay attention to ourselves so that we can be prepared to be able to give loving attention to others. Uh, we're told that we should do unto others as would have others do unto us. Which fits well, I think, with what Jesus is saying, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Which leads us to the last line of the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I want you to have a look at the passage. Uh, someone's trying to get out. Um, don't, don't let them. <laughs> I want you to have a look at the passage and just notice some connections. First of all, in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Notice the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or the next verse, watch out for false prophets, watch out for ferocious wolves. They are people whose bad fruit shows that they are a bad tree. Father, Deliver us from the evil ones. Or if we're to come down to the next paragraph, down in verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evildoers. Again, deliver us from the evil one. And therefore, he says, as we take these words of Jesus and put them into practice, so we will be building something that lasts for eternity. Now, I take it that what we've got in this last section of the Sermon on the Mount is in so many ways an exposition of the Lord's Prayer. And I highlight that not to point out anything clever. I'd never noticed this until I was reading over it recently. But I think it adds weight to this prayer as being so practical in the areas that Jesus wants us to make priorities. And so if you pray the Lord's Prayer, be encouraged that Jesus is encouraging you to pray something that really impacts the whole of life and that impacts the priorities that God wants us to have. And if you don't pray the Lord's Prayer, well, now's a good time to start. Okay. Well, let's have a look at this section then. And I want to look at it under three categories. The road less travelled, watch out, the warning, and then how will you respond to Jesus? The first thing is Jesus in verses 13 and 14 points out two very different paths. Or it's actually two different entries that lead to very different paths. We see it there, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, we live in a society which is critical of anyone who wants to say that they've got the truth, that they are right and somebody else or some other group might be wrong. It's incredibly... Uh, out of step with the culture that we live in to say that anything could be absolutely truthful and some things might be absolutely in error. And so, of course, we are tolerant, we accept, we embrace, and, and we accept all sorts of different ideas. Society is meant to be a melting pot of different ideologies, of different religions, of different paths. And some, of course, try and put this together by saying, well, every religion has a little bit of the truth. If you go the route of Islam, then it will lead you some way, but you'll still end up with God. If you go the route of Judaism, then it will lead you this way, but you'll still end up with God. If you go the route of Zoroastrianism or some other group or Christianity, then you'll end up ultimately in the same place. But I wonder how we respond to Jesus' words that there is a small gate that leads to a narrow path that ends in life that is hard to find. And there is a broad gate that leads to a broad road which ends up in destruction that many find. I think what Jesus is saying here is that there will be all sorts of different pathways that people take but that ultimately there's only one pathway that will end in the right place. We, of course, if we look more broadly than Matthew, discover that Jesus identifies his important role in people coming to know God, and there's an occasion where he describes himself as the door or the gate. Jesus is the entry point. On another occasion, Jesus in John's Gospel says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I think at that point, people in our culture can embrace it. 
great. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life for you. That's great. You embrace that. I'll embrace something different. But then Jesus continues and says, And no man comes to the Father except through me. See, what's at stake here is the doctrine of God himself. For if God is one God in three persons, if God is Trinity, if he is God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit, not mixing them up at the same time, one God and three persons, then we see that the only means of salvation is what God makes possible. God the Father sends Jesus the Son who willingly gives his life so that as we put our trust in Jesus and receive God's Spirit, so we are entering through that gate and proceeding on that pathway that leads to life. Friends, it's, it's not an option. And think about it. If God is real and God becomes flesh in Jesus and makes himself known to people and says, I am the way and the truth and the life, how can there be another way? We might like to think that we prefer other ways. People might like to come up with their own maps, their own strategies, their own directions, their own spiritual walk. But in the end, that's just them inventing a journey. If God has said there's only one way to come to know me, and you need to see that it is through the speaker here, and that is Jesus, and not just to enter on that way, but to stay focused on that way, to continue on that way. He's going to warn about some things in just a second. So the first thing is that the way to come into the kingdom is only and always through Jesus. But having come through the gate of Jesus and proceeding down the path that leads to life, we are still in danger. And so he says, watch out. There's a warning here. Warnings, again, can seem fairly kind of narrow-minded. Uh, a number of years back, my wife and kids and I travelled up to the, the northern part of Australia, up north of Cooktown, around the Cape area, and every river had a sign on it. Um, the sign was in German, Achtung. I don't know what that means, but I knew what the picture meant. It was a picture of a saltwater crocodile. And if you look closely, there were multiple languages that were saying very, very clearly, don't swim, in fact, don't even enter the water. I was a bit peeved about that because it's hot up there. I mean, how dare they make my life miserable by preventing me from swimming in the river? Even the Mary River. We stood on the banks of the Mary River in the Northern Territory and I counted 20 four, five, six metre crocodiles just bathing themselves on the bank. They're on the bank. Why can't I go in the water? <laughs> you see, it's silly to think like that. But Jesus is warning because the warning is real. And what we're about to hear, I think, is it's just not very palatable. If we're wanting to be nice... But Jesus is better than nice. He's truthful and loving. And so he says, watch out. What to watch out for? Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. That's helpful to know, isn't it? Because you don't get people with a sign saying, by the way, come to our church, I am a false prophet. 
By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Some have said that these are the most frightening verses in the Bible. That some could think that they are doing the will of God. That they're prophesying in his name. That they're driving out demons. They're doing spectacular things. And yet, Jesus doesn't know them. I don't think it means that Jesus is ignorant or some people slip by and he didn't check their cards. I think what it's saying is that they are not in a relationship with Jesus. And that's a warning to us. Because I think, we think so often that miraculous equals true. Extraordinary equals authentic. Big must be blessed. But Jesus is saying, no, it's very easy to pretend. It's very easy to cover up. It's, it's easy to be spectacular and lead people astray. And so watch out for this, he's saying. We, we live in, in very different times to Jesus. And one of the extraordinary differences, I think, that makes us more susceptible to some of this than the people in that day is that we live in the day of the internet. And I regularly hear people say, I was listening to Pastor Keller, and I was listening to Mr. Carson, and I was listening to Joel Osteen, and I was listening to Joyce Mayer, and I was listening to um, Billy Graham, and I was listening to, and people are pastored by so many. The reality is we can get the best of teaching simply by downloading a podcast watching a video, or reading a book, following an article on a website. We can be influenced by anybody and everybody in the world these days. But there's a great danger if we don't know the people that we're following. There's a danger if we are blindly listening to the words of people when we know nothing about them, their lifestyle, whether it backs up what they're saying, whether they're accountable to people around about them, whether it's a whole sham and a lie. And there's been enough exposure of sham Christianity and abusive leaders of high-profile churches in recent times to cause us to be careful. I'm not saying don't listen to great talks on the internet. Go for your life. But realise that we need to be in relationship with one another. We need to be accountable to each other. We need to live lives before one another. It's a great danger for the pastor or the, or the high-profile Christian leader who's never seen, whose whole life is a mystery. 
Tell you what, there's times when I'm glad you don't see the whole of my life. But if I ever hide away, unwilling to be examined, then I've lost the privilege of being your pastor. So watch out. I'm sure that some of you know people who've started the Christian walk well, only to fall by the wayside. Jesus is saying, start the right way, continue the right way, and don't be led astray. Finally, how will you respond to Jesus? Look at this last section. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, it's a, it's a great little story, this one, isn't it? I, mean, I remember hearing this uh, when I was in Sunday school and I could probably still sing the song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. House upon... Okay, enough. Um, it's a great story, but what is he getting at? What's he saying? He's saying that you and I are now caught up in the story. This is... Let me use a big word. This is an existential moment for us. Because we are listening to these words of his and we're going to build now. In other words, when you hear Jesus, you, you have a response and Jesus calls it building. So you've got a choice. You're going to build on the rock that is by hearing these words and putting them into practice or you're going to build on the sand and that is hear these words and do nothing about it. So you're caught up in this right now. Um, this is not something we can hold at arm's length. It's not academic. How are we responding to Jesus? How have we been? How will we? Now, I came to a realisation about building a house on the sand and the rock uh, a couple of years ago. See, I used to think it was all about the coast because I like the coast. And uh, these days, if you hang around Bonnie Hills, you can see the sand and the rock. Um, just if you see the sand one day, wait for a storm and then you'll see the rock. And then, God willing, after a few weeks, then the sand will cover the rock again, and then we'll enjoy the beach until another storm comes and we see the rock. But this is not a coastal environment that Jesus is in. Fiona and I had the privilege um, a couple of years back of going to England and stopping over in Dubai on the way. And Dubai uh, is built on sand. The whole city is built on sand. And we noticed some building projects that were going on. And as I looked out the window of the hotel we were staying in, with friends that had taken us there, I asked him about the massive hole in the ground. And he says they're digging down till they get to rock. I thought, that's what Jesus is talking about. See, if you just build on the surface, on the sand, then when the rains come, it's going to wash out. It's going to, it's going to erode. You, you're not going to be on anything of substance, and so you'll be washed away. But if you dig down deeply, if you actually build the foundations 
of the house deep into the sand on the bedrock, then when the rain comes, yes, it's going to make a mess. Yes, you'll see all kinds of things that are uncovered, but the house will stand. Friends, I take it that Jesus wants us to build on him as the bedrock. And not just build on him, but build on his teaching by putting it into practice. Will we take Jesus' words and respond to them? And in this passage, it's really quite straightforward. That is, Jesus is saying, I'm the way to God, so come to me and stick with me and I'll get you there. And by the way, there'll be threats along the way. There'll be people who pretend to be the real thing and they will lead you away to follow them. Don't be taken in. Stick with me, Jesus is saying. So build on the solid rock of Jesus and put his words into practice. How can you know that you're building on the solid rock of Jesus' words? Well, to be quite honest, by having an open Bible, by coming before God and asking him to teach you by his spirited word, Scripture. Asking God's spirit to help you to understand this and to and to put it into practice, to let it shape your mind, let it soak into your heart, let it transform your hands and your feet and everything else that does stuff. Jesus is saying, I'm the way. And isn't that good? Because it's not about the best ideas of people about how to get to God. It's about God descending to us and saying, I'm going to make it possible. Stick with me. I take it Jesus is saying this, only me and always me. How about we pray? Loving Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to live in relationship with you, to live a perfect life, to teach us of the kingdom, to help us to pray. And Father, we thank you that Jesus willingly gave his life to pay the price for our sin and that you raised him again to life because you have dealt with our sin in Jesus and that now he reigns over all, the king in the kingdom. And we pray that we will live in that kingdom, that you'll shape in us kingdom values and that we will only and always keep our trust in Jesus. Amen.